0: in the orchestra field.
1: Orchestra view? Where's that?
0: You change, you change four, score and seven to
1: 87?
0: To oh, oh, that view is tremendous. A landing was made this morning on the coast of France by troops of the Allied Expeditionary Force. I don't blame them for
1: dyeing your hair, I said, but... They waited too long to bomb it.
0: Time now for Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Baccarello.
1: Thanks, sweetie. Thank you for tuning in to episode 69 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. As Jazz Appreciation Month draws to a close, we should take this chance to get a trumpet player in there. It's even a musician I have not introduced you to yet. His playing is so effortless, especially for the speedy plays. So get ready to hear the graceful and up-tempo style from the horn of Roy Eldridge in Volume 69, Little Jazz on Horn, Part 1. And back to the booklet for each tune's introduction. Here Comes Cookie is not a memorable tune, nor is the arrangement used by Teddy Hill's band particularly distinguished. But Roy Eldridge, less than a month past his 24th birthday, seizes the occasion to make a most auspicious recording debut. His unique intensity and spirit come across, and so does his personal sound. Something new and fresh in jazz trumpeting is unveiled here. The other highlights are Chew Berry's fine tenor saxophone solo. Roy and Chu began a lasting personal and musical friendship in the Hill Band, and eight bars of Dickie Wells' powerful trombone. Here Comes Cookie was recorded February 26th, 1935. Well, looky, looky, here comes Cookie, written by Mac Gordon and performed by Teddy Hill and his orchestra with Roy Eldridge, Bill Dillard, and Bill Coleman on trumpets, Dickie Wells on trombone, Russell Procope, Howard Johnson on alto sax and clarinet, Chewberry and Teddy Hill on tenor saxes, Sam Allen on piano, John Smith on guitar, Richard Fulbright on string bass, and Bill Beeson on drums. Okay, why this album for this episode? mostly because I wasn't going to let Jazz Appreciation Month go without a featured trumpet player, and it is such a delight to listen to Eldridge with his quick tempos and smooth delivery. We played sections from the first album in the box set a few months ago. The first two records are Louis Armstrong recordings. Eldridge also has two records in this box set, hence the part one in the title of this episode. It was this box set, That truly introduced me to the musician known as Little Jazz. Now, on to Jangled nerves. An early swing era riff piece reflecting the influence of the Casa Loma Orchestra is taken at a fast clip and Chewberry's fleet fingered long breathing tenor solo raises the temperature. Still tempo and beat are not high enough for Roy who deliberately speeds things up with dramatic entrance. Few if any musicians could handle this kind of speed so well in 1936 or thereafter for that matter. He gets fine support from Sid Catlett's drums and Israel Crosby's bass. The trombone solo is by Fernando Arbello. It was with this Fletcher Henderson band that Roy firmly established himself in the world of jazz. This was recorded April 9th, 1936. Jangled Nerves, written by Bud Green, Sam H. Stepp, and Herman Ruby. It was performed by Fletcher Henderson and his orchestra, with Eldridge, Joe Thomas, and Dick Vance on trumpets, Fernando Arbello and Ed Kufi on trombone, Buster Bailey and Omer Simeon on alto sax and clarinet, Chu Berry and Elmer Williams on tenor sax, Horace Henderson on piano, Bob Leslie on guitar, Israel Crosby on string bass, and Sid Catlett on drums. Okay, let me introduce you to the record I chose for this episode. Louis Armstrong, Roy Eldridge, Jazz Masterpieces. It's on the Franklin Mint Record Society label, Jazz 003. Now, the entire box set is one, two, three, four. Yes, Armstrong and Eldridge were the featured artists in the first box set of this collection it's the greatest jazz recordings of all time jazz zero zero one series institute of jazz studies official archive collection it's on a four vinyl lp compilation red vinyl red box box set yes the vinyl and the box are red in this series country of release is us now some of these are released from sweden i'm not sure what the difference is it was released in 1982 its genre is jazz and its style is swing. And we'll hear from sides A and B of record three, and we will hear seven of the 12 songs on this record. I definitely wanted to play more tunes like Wabash Stomp and Heckler's Hop, and the pace he took the popular St. Louis blues was beyond any tempos. I've heard that song played, so give his versions of those songs a listen when you get a chance. Now I'm going to read the first three quick paragraphs from the liner notes from his section of the booklet. Louis Armstrong lived long enough to become an unchallengeable institution, but there were times during his career when he was fair game for the spirit of individualism and assertiveness that he himself had unleashed within jazz. The first to challenge Louis were older, established trumpet kings such as Freddie Keppard and Johnny Dunn. They fell quickly because they simply could not approach Louis's command of his horn and of the music. But younger men, once his disciples, were beginning to lock horns with him in earnest by the late 1920s. One such was a jazz trumpeter born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on January 31, 1911. David Roy Eldridge found his style only after listening seriously to Louis in 1931. Before that, he could play very fast and very high, but by his own admission had little content and structure to offer. When he realized that Louis used his awesome facility to tell a story in music, it was the revelation needed to launch Eldridge on his own true path. That path made Roy Eldridge the most influential trumpeter after Louis and one of the founding fathers of modern jazz. The young John Burke's Dizzy Gillespie was one of his most fanatical Followers. Roy further extended the range of the trumpet, firing off stratospheric notes. He played faster than anyone before him, inspired by saxophonists rather than by trumpeters. Chief among them, Coleman Hawkins and Benny Carter. Now we will hear more about his life later in this episode. So let's see what Discogs.com has valued this record at. the The highest price sold was twenty dollars. The lowest price, nine forty, and a median at twelve. Dollars and nine cents. It was last sold on December 2nd, 2021. I found a copy on eBay for $45 and a cap- copy on Amazon for $47.95. Now, my dad's copy is in really good condition. I, I think it's because these great plastic sleeves were so well designed. And we kept them on there. The record, the box set, and the booklet um, are in very, very very good condition, although we did play this box set quite often. Uh, By that time, we were both taking better care of our albums in our collections. Uh, So I'm going to say that this box set is worth $12. Next up, almost a pronouncement on the change that was about to happen to music, especially after you hear who's in the band. Swing is here. A prophetic title brings together the stars of the Benny Goodman and Fletcher Henderson bands, both of which were working in Chicago in early 1936, under the nominal leadership of drummer Gene Krupa. Again, the tempo is way up in the parlance of the day this is a killer diller, and a challenge for soloists and rhythm section. It's a credit to everyone that it all hangs together. Wisely, Roy takes the last solo spot following Chu Berry and Benny, for while these worthies are in splendid form, Roy tops it off. Then he leads the unison riffing that ends the piece. It was recorded February 29th, 1936. <laughs> yep. A leap year day. <laughs> Swing is Here, written by Gene Krupa, Chewberry, and Roy Eldridge. Performed by Gene Krupa and his all star swing band, with Eldridge on trumpet, Benny Goodman on clarinet, Chewberry on tenor sax, Jess Stacy on piano, Alan Royce on guitar, Israel Crosby on string bass, and Krupa on drums. Okay, let's hear about our featured musician born January 30th, 1911. This is from Arts.gov. Also known as Little Jazz, Roy Eldridge was a fiery, energetic trumpeter, the bridge between the towering trumpet stylist Louis Armstrong and Dizzy Gillespie. Some of the great rhythmic drive of Eldridge's later trumpet exploits could be traced to his beginnings on the drums, which he began playing at age six. Eldridge's older brother Joe, who played alto saxophone, was his first teacher, In 1930, Eldridge moved to New York, heading straight to Harlem, where he gained work with a number of dance bands before joining the Teddy Hill Band. By 1935, Eldridge and saxophonist Chu Berry, who would later join the Count Basie Orchestra, were Hill's principal soloists, and after gigs, they would go around town on cutting contests, challenging musicians to see who could play the best. With his lightning speed and awesome range, Eldridge rarely lost. After Hill's band, Eldridge became the lead trumpeter in the Fletcher Henderson Orchestra, where his upper register abilities were highlighted. It didn't take long for Eldridge to exert himself as a bandleader, forming his own octet in 1936 in Chicago, a band that included his brother Joe. By the end of the 1930s, after freelancing with a wide array of bands, Eldridge gained notice as one of the swing band's most potent soloists. In 1941, he joined drummer Gene Krupa's band. Not only did he provide trumpet fireworks for Krupa's outfit, he also sang, recording a memorable duet with the band's female singer Anita O'Day on the tune Let Me Off Uptown in 1941. Later, after Krupa's band disbanded in 1943 in a period of freelancing, he toured with the Artie Shaw Band in 1944. Then Eldridge led his own bands, usually small swing groups. In 1948, Norman Granz recruited Eldridge for his jazz at the Philharmonic an ideal situation since Eldridge was one of the ultimate jam session trumpeters. He toured briefly with Benny Goodman and took up residence in Paris in 1950, where he made some of his most successful recordings. He returned to New York in 1951 and continued freelancing with small bands, including work with Coleman Hawkins, Benny Carter, Ella Fitzgerald, and Johnny Hodges. He made notable albums for Verve Records alongside Hawkins and continued freelancing and leading a house band at Jimmy Ryan's Club in New York. In 1971, he was inducted into the Downbeat Jazz Hall of Fame. A stroke in 1980 stopped him from playing the trumpet, but Eldridge continued to make music as a singer and pianist until his death on February 26, 1989. Now, on to one of my favorite jazz melodies. I fell in love with the Louis Armstrong-Jack Teagarden version of this song we played at the Cleveland Nostalgia Station I worked for. Rockin' Chair. A Hoagy Carmichael classic, introduced on records by Louis Armstrong in 1929, was one of Roy's solo features with Gene Krupa's band. Roy found it very challenging and was not pleased with his work at this recording session, but when his good friend Ben Webster, the tenor saxophonist, played the disc for him a few months later, he was stunned. It was a masterly performance from first note to last. It is surely one of his very greatest Even the humorous interlude in which he duets with Sam Musiker's clarinet doesn't destroy the warm, emotional climate. The arrangement is by Benny Carter. Krupa knows that Flash was by no means his only fort, supporting Roy with wonderfully firm press rolls. This version of Rocking Chair was recorded July 2, 1941. and chair composed by Hoagy Carmichael, performed by Gene Krupa and his orchestra, with Eldridge, Norm Murphy, Torg Halton, and Graham Young on trumpets, John Grassy, Jay Keller, ba- and Babe Wagner on trombone, Sam Musiker on alto sax and clarinet, Musky Rufo on alto sax, Walter Bates on tenor, Sam Lestingard on barry sax, Milt Raskin on piano, Ray Biondi on guitar, Ed Mihalik on string bass, Krupa on drums, and Benny Carter was the arranger of that piece. Now, we will go right into our bonus track. The Gasser, an Eldridge variant on the chord progression of Sweet Georgia Brown, finds him at the helm of a band much like his 1937 one, both in instrumentation and flavor. Opening with a harmon mute, his favorite, Roy is at first supported by bass and drums only. He was one of the inventors of this practice, which he called strolling. Then the piano joins in. The tempo is fast but relaxed. Ike Quebec's big toned Coleman Hawkins inspired tenor takes a chorus, and then Roy, now without mute, essays two climactic choruses, saxes riffing behind him. He shows off his rasping lower register at the end. This gasser was recorded November 11th, 1943. <laughs> Certainly was The Gasser, composed by Roy Eldridge, performed by Roy Eldridge and his orchestra, with Eldridge on trumpet, Joe Eldridge on alto sax, and he was the arranger of this tune, Andrew Goon Gardner on alto sax, Ike Quebec on tenor, Roselle Gale on piano, Ted Sturgis on string bass, and Harold Doc West on drums. Now, time for this episode's interesting side note, and it once again has to do with the racism that these marvelous musicians had to endure. At a time when integration of musicians on the bandstand was still a subject of great controversy, Eldridge's presence in the brass section of these groups represented an important step forward. Yet Eldridge himself had to face frequent humiliation from club owners and the managers of restaurants and hotels. A sensitive and proud man, this wounded Eldridge deeply, and the scars never entirely healed. As the featured soloist in Artie Shaw and Gene Krupa's bands, Eldridge was something of an exception as black musicians in the 1930s were not allowed to appear in public with white bands. Artie Shaw commented on the difficulty Roy had in his band, noting that droves of people would ask him for his autograph at the end of the night, but later on the bus, he wouldn't be able to get off and buy a hamburger with the guys in the band's. Krupa, on at least one occasion, spent several hours in jail and paid fines for starting a fistfight with a restaurant manager who refused to let Eldridge eat with the rest of the band. As another example, Eldridge once recalled an episode that took place at a club in San Francisco while he was on tour with Artie Shaw's orchestra. Having just played a successful job at a ballroom in Oakland across the bay, he was excited about the upcoming performance and showed up early. However, he found that because he was black, he was not allowed in the front door, even though his name was on the marquee. Although he was eventually allowed to enter, he was so upset he couldn't perform. As he told musicians, I threw my mutes and things around. I began to cry. I knew it wasn't my fault. Finally, I was told to take the evening off, and all I wanted to do was play my horn. (laughs) These stories are such a shame. Okay, back to the up-tempo music. This one starts out like a little like sing, sing, sing. Minor jive from the same session as The Gasser opens with Roy's free variations on his favorite Armstrong Hot 5 record, King of the Zulus. After Roselle Gay's piano solo, he has a slight bit of trouble with the fast tempo. Roy re-enters, this time with a driving 4-4 beat and implications of stop time and the saxophone backing. He really opens up here. Playing with both startling savagery and complete control, a special Eldridge combination. This was recorded November 16th, 1943. <laughs> There is Minor Jive, written by Roy Eldridge and performed by the same musicians that recorded The Gasser since it was recorded the same day. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you, and I hope you enjoyed Jazz Appreciation Month as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. The Franklin Mint Collection is an extremely important part of my dad's overall collection because we not only shared the love of this music, but we shared the financial responsibility in collecting it. And you have to admit, they weren't kidding when they said that these are the greatest jazz recordings of all time. So we finished the first of two Eldridge records in the box set with Fiesta in Brass. An original Eldridge blues blasts off, with the composer leading a powerful trio of trumpets. After Johnny Yaneris' good piano solo, the trumpeters take two choruses apiece, first Eldridge, with harmon mute, then Joe Thomas, a strong Louis man, and Emmett Berry, more influenced by Roy, both on open horn. They then join forces again, driving home. This was recorded January 24, 1944. That was such a sweet trumpet fanfare intro. Fiesta in Brass, another Eldridge pen tune performed by Little Jazz Trumpet Ensemble, with Eldridge, Emmett Berry, and Joe Thomas on trumpets, John Ganeri on piano, Israel Crosby on string bass, and Cozy Cole on drums. And there you have selections from the Franklin Mint Jazz Masterpieces box set. So thanks for tuning in to Jazz Appreciation Month and Volume 69, Little Jazz on Horn, Part 1, however you did. If you want more information about this show, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops for Volume 70, Seven Decades of the Polka King. Until then, go with the flow, my friends.